And we welcome into the program from CBSSports.com, Shayhan Jayaraja. Shayhan, good morning. How are you? We appreciate your time this morning. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks always for having me. Let, hey, let's begin with basketball, and let's begin in the Big 12 because, you know, it's that's where we work and that's where we live. Uh, this is – it's postseason time, and this is going to be fun. Just how much stock do you put in the Big 12 tournaments, particularly for the Baylor men and the Baylor women who, you know, let's face fact, they're probably already kind of got their situations figured out unless – there's only, you know, unless the Big 12 men, the champion, you know, if it's Baylor or Kansas, does that decide a number one seed? Yeah, I mean, I, I put very little uh, stock, honestly, in the in the Big 12 tournament. It, the Big 12 has always been a league that's prioritized the regular season. You know, for whatever reason, I mean, sometimes you talk to other people in other leagues and, and they put a lot more stock into the tournament, but the Big 12 has always been a has always been a regular season league. And the other thing, too, is that I think that Baylor's in good shape. You know, I don't think you want to lose the first game, especially since, you know, as a two seed, you're going to be playing likely the seven. Uh, but, you know, if you get past that game, and then you lose in the second round. I don't think it hurts. You know, I mean, maybe it can be a slight advantage to Kansas if they go through and win the whole thing. But uh, but I think that Baylor's spot is pretty much secure. You know, I mean, they're higher in the net rankings. They're projected higher in most brackets, uh, especially with the way that Kansas kind of ended the season. I think that people like the way that Baylor's playing right now. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think that Baylor's resume is set. You know, you look at Ken Palm, they're still number two in that ranking. So, yes, again, you, you don't want to lose, I don't think, in the first uh, the first game of this thing. But to lose in the second game or something like that on the second day and have some time to rest up, especially hopefully to try and get LJ Cryer back at some point before the tournament, I, I think that they're in good shape. I think their resume is set. And so I don't think that, uh, you know, Baylor's ever won things. So certainly if they were able to go and win the thing, I think that's, that's nice just from their perspective, but I don't put much stock at all in whether Baylor has success in this tournament. On the men's side, is this a two bid league as far as one seeds are concerned? I mean, is it Baylor and Kansas or, or, or Baylor in that one spot? I think that Baylor has the upper hand right now in terms of getting a one seed just because of, again, how many Q1 wins that they have, uh, you know, obviously winning the conference, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but, you know, Kansas is, is probably right there. They're, they're probably just half a step behind. It's possible, like you said, if, if Kansas were to go through and win the whole thing, that maybe they have a case for a one seed. But I'd probably put them, you know, in the number five, number six overall seed right on that two line. Uh, you know, it's, it's really tough for, for one conference to get two one seeds. But I do think that Baylor and, and Kansas are kind of in a position to at least compete for that. It, you know, like you kind of mentioned uh, in, in the Sports Center update, you know, Gonzaga, Arizona, they're in really good shape to potentially be right there. Auburn's a team that's going to be competing for one of those one seeds, uh, Duke, Kentucky. So there's, there's some options, I think, but – you know, again, I think that if either Baylor or Kansas has a really good showing in this tournament, it could kind of uh, it could kind of give them a chance to, to have two one seeds from the same conference. How much different is this team from last year's team? Oh, I mean, well, completely different, right? I mean, you know, you lose four starters, of course, you lose some key bench people too, and 
they've completely rebuilt it in a completely different image, right? Because you look at last year's team, last year's team was so guard driven, right? You have these three guards who, you know, two of them are, are NBA draft picks. Macy Oteague also, you know, is going to, I think, be playing in the NBA within a couple of years. Uh, and, you know, this team is so much more wing driven. You know, you've got Jeremy Sohan, you've got Kendall Brown, obviously James Akinja is kind of the, uh, the guy who holds it all together, but this is a team that really is dominated by their wings. Matthew Meyer would be another one of those, even Adam Flag. I think you could consider one of those. So I, I think it's really impressive that they've been able to rebuild their entire kind of identity based on the roster that they have. And, and that's something that I think Scott Drew does not get enough credit for. You know, I, I did a story on him before last season uh, in kind of their opportunity to run back their potential championship team. And one of the things that, you know, whenever you talk to people around him, you talk to his assistants, you talk to whoever – I mean, he is so flexible. He wants you to, to go and get the best players that you, that you can and then figure out sort of the details of basketball later. He's not somebody who's trying to recruit to scheme. He's not somebody who's only trying to recruit a certain type of player. Uh, you know, he's trying to recruit the best talent that he can that, that fits personality-wise within the program. And I think that's shown. You know, I mean, again, to, to have a team that was Jerry Buttons on Mitchell driven to all of a sudden one that's Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan driven, I mean, I think that's a testament to how creative he is as a coach. I think it's a, a testament to how well the coaching staff has game planned. And and so, you know, when when you look at these two teams, right, I mean, if if Baylor were to somehow go and win the national championship, you know, this isn't Florida 06-07 where it's that same team coming back and doing it. This is basically Scott Drew putting together two national championship caliber teams. So uh, it's very impressive what they've done. And, and yeah, I mean, these, these teams are so different. Nikki Collins' team, uh, again, that, that resume – that body of work has secured them a, uh, a top seed. And so th- this Big 12 tournament, for them, basically the same type situation, I think. Yeah, no, I think so. I think it's more of an opportunity for them to kind of just build some rhythm. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, they, they lost the first two games of Big 12 play, and they were the first team since I believe it was 2000 to lose the first two games of Big 12 play and then win the Big 12. So, you know, they've, they've really found their rhythm in a lot of ways. And I think that's just what this tournament's going to be about. And, and I'd say the same for the men, too, you know, is just kind of work some things out, get some guys some playing time, you know, create some opportunities for yourself. Uh, and I think that that's what it's going to be on the women's side, too, especially with the women. You know, I think that they would also really benefit from not playing too deep into the tournament because they are a shallow team. You know, you're only really playing six or seven players on most nights. So I don't think you want to overdo it. I don't think you want to overload an Alyssa Smith. Uh, and so I think that, you know, if, you, if you're able to win a game and then kind of bow out, uh, I think you feel fine about that. Going into the tournament, not the Big 12 tournament, the NCAA tournament, you're talking about that depth for the Bader women. Will that catch up with them as they go through the tournament? Do you think that that's something that they really have to be aware of in getting minutes and straining, uh, spreading those out as much as they can? Yeah, I think that, uh, especially on the women's side, you know, the gap between you know a one seed and a 16 seed is still very significant, and even a one in an 80. So I think that if you're Nikki Collin, you're, you have to be, like you said, kind of conscious of that. You have to be conscious of, you know, you don't need to play your starters for 30 minutes in a, you know, in the 16 seed game. You, and you know, maybe even heading into the eight seed game, you know, you, you try to put it away early. But I think that once you get to that second weekend, things kind of turn out okay. You know, you, you do have time between the games. You do have a week in between, obviously, the different rounds of the tournament. So uh, I think that they'll be okay, but but I think that you certainly always have to be cognizant of that because 
you know, I mean, how many teams have, have lost out on the tournament because the key player got hurt, because the key player was exhausted, because, you know, because the team wasn't deep enough. And that's one thing, right, like historically with, with both of these uh, Baylor teams, you know, they've been so deep, but because of injuries, because of attrition, and obviously on the women's basketball side, because, you know, it, that's just kind of the state of the roster when Nikki Collin came in. You know, they're going to be put in, I think, in a little bit tougher position. So I, I think you do need to be co- uh, conscious of it. But obviously, I mean, first and foremost, you, you have to win the game. That's a part of you. Let's uh, switch gears. Let's talk some football. Uh, Charlie Strong to Miami. Did you see that one coming? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I think that certainly Charlie Strong, after what happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars this past year, probably wasn't going to stick around in the NFL. And I think it's a great hire by Mario Cristobal. You know, he, he comes in as co-defensive coordinator. I assume that Kevin Steele is still going to be the, the primary play caller on that side of the ball. But, you know, in Charlie Strong, you get somebody who has deep, deep ties in the state of Florida. He's coached at the University of South Florida as head coach. He was at uh, the University of Florida at, in, with, over the course of four different stints uh, up in Gainesville. So you're talking about somebody who has really deep ties across the state of Florida and has great knowledge, uh, obviously has had success as a head coach you know, at Louisville. And so I think that you know, he's somebody who makes a lot of sense on that staff. And the other thing about uh, that staff too is that it's a little bit of a younger staff you know and so i think having somebody like charlie strong and also kevin Steele as well come in uh, and have a chance to kind of put their fingerprints on that defense and put a, their fingerprints on that culture i think it's only going to help them and you know i mean i do think that one thing about this too is that you know when you look at miami i think that miami just being where they are in the state of the program right now they kind of need a little bit of sec influence you know, and I think that that getting Kevin Steele in there, getting Charlie Strong in there, you know, these are people who just understand how SEC programs work because they've spent so much time in them and had success in them. You know, obviously at Florida, at Auburn, et cetera. So I think that uh, that adding that to Mario Cristobal, I think it's going to be really valuable. And I think that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a no-brainer hire, I think, for both sides involved. You mentioned Kevin Steele. Are, are you surprised <laughs> that he didn't get another opportunity to be a head coach or – Maybe he did it and, and chose not to. <laughs> well, uh, to, to answer that question first, I'd ask uh, you know, the Baylor fans who were around at that time whether they're surprised that he didn't get another job <laughs> as a head coach. And I, I don't think they'd be too surprised. But, you know, I think, I think it's interesting, right? I mean, if you are a coordinator like Kevin Steele, who's had a lot of success as a coordinator in his career, uh, you know, has, has really been considered one of the better coordinators in football for a while, the question is, right, are you going to get a job that's of comparable value, right? Because could he get a, you know, could he have gotten Troy? You know, maybe. I don't know. You know, could he have gotten uh, Georgia Southern? Uh, something like that. But sure, maybe. But if you are Kevin Steele, I mean, you're making, in a lot of your past jobs, you're making close to $2 million a year, which is probably more than you're going to make as a, as a group of five coach because he's so valued as a defensive mind. Uh, you know, so so the question just becomes, you know, are, are you just trying to prove something? Because I don't think he could have gotten another major college job. I, I, at least, you know, at least not in the short term. Maybe he could have gotten sort of a lower tier one at some point. But you know, people people have long memories when it comes to, to obviously struggling as a head coach. And so I, I think that for him, you know, it, it's kind of like before this past year, the Brent Venables thing, where it's like the lifestyle of being a defensive coordinator, especially at Auburn, where there was a lot of stability and he was able to have some deep roots. I, I think that was really attractive to him. And so, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything, right? I think it's 
Yes, he could have gotten a head coaching job, but the quality of head coaching job from his perspective is also, a, you know, a man who's getting up there in age. I, I don't think would have been worth it relative to kind of the lifestyle of being a really standout defensive coordinator. Were you at all surprised that Art Browse didn't make it seven days in Grambling? <sighs> yeah, not not especially, honestly. I mean, the big thing about it, right, is that to, to be the coach who hires you know, our Bryles, I, I think, unfortunately, it, it often correlates with the coach who probably can't stop talking, right? And that's the thing that really doomed this in a lot of ways was not just the hire, but was really Hugh Jackson's response to it. And, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you have Doug Williams coming out who's the grambling man in a lot of ways and saying, I, I didn't want this and I didn't sign off on this. I mean, it's just chaos, right? And I think that to to be a program, if you're going to hire him, you need to be able to deal with that chaos. You know, Mount Vernon, you know, out in East Texas, they said, we're going to deal with it. We're just going to kind of ignore it, and we're going to stand firm in our decision. And it's just a lot harder at the collegiate level because there's so many more stakeholders involved. You've got uh, you've got the players, you've got the boosters, you've got the administration, you've got the coaching staff, and then you have you know fans, you have people, again, like Doug Williams. You don't have people like Doug Williams the same way, uh, you know, we're going to speak out about stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, it's, I, I think that the way that it happened is, is always a surprise. It always ends up being something or the other with, with this story. But, uh, you know, for me, I wasn't especially surprised because I did think, you know, if, if you didn't get Doug Williams on the same page with you, if you didn't get administration on the same page with you, if, if you didn't kind of say, hey, Hugh Jackson, if you're going to speak out, it needs to be through us and not through your foundation Twitter account, uh, you know, I mean, then I, that really kind of shows how little planning went into it, and unfortunately, uh, it came back to bite them. Shayhan, what are you working on uh, right now? Yeah, we're we're heading into spring practices this week, so I've got a story coming out on Oregon, and uh, you know, we're we're kind of profiling, especially some of the teams that have gone through major changes over the offseason. Obviously, Oregon uh, bringing in a new coaching staff, so so I'll kind of have a preview of them on Wednesday, and we'll have. A bunch more as the the week set forward into spring training. And it's all on CBSSports.com. Hey, man, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. That's Shehan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com.